Our scripture reading and text tonight are found in Luke chapter 1. And so we turn to Luke 1. We'll begin reading at verse 26. We'll read verses 26 through 56 of Luke 1. And the text tonight is verses 46 through 50, the very beginning of Mary's song uh, that she sings uh, as she reflects on the wonder that took place in her. So Luke 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and she spake out with a loud voice and said, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, and this is the beginning of the text, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. 
he hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house. And thus far we read God's word. The text, as I said, is verses 46 through 50. We read there, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. We look at this song of Mary, but we do so in its context, remembering tonight that Mary's world was turned upside down with an announcement. She went from being a woman who was betrothed to Joseph and planning a wedding, suddenly finding out that she's going to be the mother of her Savior, And Lord, that turned her world upside down, not simply because of the wonder that was going to take place, but there would be hard things about this as well. She's going to be pregnant, but not married, but also pregnant with this special son, the Savior. When she receives that news, And that wonder has taken place within her. The question is, who is she going to talk to about these things? Well, part of the announcement of the angel Gabriel was that her cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant by a great wonder. She was old, and now she's six months pregnant. So Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And there's nothing surprising about pregnant women getting together to compare notes. But there's something amazing that happens here. So that when Mary comes into the presence of Elizabeth, the babe, the baby that's in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy. This isn't just the regular movement of a child in the womb, but there is a leaping for joy that Elizabeth feels. And Elizabeth speaks of this, and she does so by way of words that the Holy Spirit works in her. It's to all of these things, some hardship for Mary, the announcement of good news through the angel Gabriel, what her cousin Elizabeth reports and says about the babe leaping in her own womb. It's to all of these things that Mary responds in song, and uh, tonight what we want to do is look at the first part of that song, verses 46 through 50. There's much for us to learn from this song of Mary. In Mary's response, we don't see a woman who is focused on herself. We don't see a woman who is focused on her own circumstances. Instead, she's focused on the greatness of God. And as she's focused on the greatness of God, her heart is filled with great joy. That's a question for us as we're in this Christmas season. 
And we're remembering the birth of Jesus Christ. As I prayed tonight, it's very easy for us to kind of set that aside. It's there, but it's kind of a, a side thing. There, there are other things sometimes in our lives that can take priority and become more important to us, whether we're young or we are old. But here we see and understand how it can be that there is great joy for us. No matter what the circumstances of our lives might be, no matter what things weigh heavily upon our hearts, what things are hard and struggles for us, and maybe we'd like escapes and diversions from those things. But there is a place for us to find great joy even in hardship. It's in the Lord. It's in the gift that God has given in His Son. We rejoice in God, our Savior. And that is what gives us joy in our lives, day by day, until the day that we are taken to our heavenly home. So tonight we consider this first part of Mary's song under the theme, Rejoicing in God my Savior. And we notice three things. His mercy, His Son, and then finally His praise. So His mercy, His Son, and then thirdly, His praise. The question that we face when we look at this song of Mary is this. Why is Mary so joyful at this time? There are three ways I want to answer that question. Why is Mary joyful? Two of them are the the not, the negative. She's not joyful because of these two things, but she is joyful because of this. The first one is this. It's not because of her circumstances. Let's go back for a moment. Remember what has happened in her life. We said her world was turned upside down. She's young, unmarried, and pregnant. Young, unmarried, and pregnant. What does that mean for her in her culture? Well, that means gossip. Slander, mockery, those things haven't started yet. She's just pregnant. She's not showing. Maybe by this point, hardly anybody knows. There's an explanation for her pregnancy. There is the word of the angel Gabriel to her. That the Son of God would work, the Holy Spirit would work, the the power of the highest would overshadow her. And there is a great miracle and wonder that was performed in her womb. There is an explanation. But who's going to believe that? Who's going to believe that? How many people aren't going to think that this is just a a great cover-up for some sinful deed that she had committed and a man with her, maybe Joseph. And we know that from Matthew 1 where Joseph was questioning whether or not he should marry Mary, whether or not he should make her his wife. And it would have been easy for him simply to walk away. But the angel Gabriel says, no, marry her, care for her. And so that tells us that this news would not be easy for Mary. You can imagine that this would produce a great amount of stress and fear 
and anxiety in her life, which tells us then the joy that she expresses in the words uh, that we find in the text is not because of her circumstances. But also then we learn from that that our joy in life is not found in our circumstances because we all know that sometimes in life things are going well and we rejoice when things go well, but at other times things are not going well in life. And we learn very quickly in life that we do not find our joy in our circumstances. Secondly, notice an answer to this question, why is Mary so joyful? That she's not joyful because of anything in herself. It's not because of anything in herself. She has received news that she is the only woman in the world who is called by God to carry the Christ child in her womb. No one else in the world would experience this. Certainly she is joyful about this, but she's not joyful about this because Virtually everybody in the world from that time on would know who the Virgin Mary is. Now, maybe that's a bit extreme, but there are so many people, even in the world yet today, who have heard of the Virgin Mary, and they know this story, and they know some things about it. And it's not because she would have fame and popularity, because she's at the very center of this history. That's not the way we ought to read what she says. We read in verse 48, For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. It's not because she's going to rise in popularity in the history of the world. Now what she is saying there is that she is glad and thankful because the Lord is pleased to use her to be the mother of our Savior and our Lord. She would be used as an instrument of God for the birth of our Savior. So we see that Mary's focus is not on herself, it's not on her circumstances, but in fact her joy is found in this, it's found in God. This song is full of theology This song is full of God and what he has done. She's joyful because of who God is and what he has done. Notice the very beginning, verses 46 and 47. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. This is the source of her joy. And doesn't that fit with everything else that we read in Scripture that if we're going to find joy in our lives, true lasting joy, it's always connected to God and who we are in Him. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what we find in the Psalms as well. Psalm 43 verse 4, Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. That's what we read in our call to worship tonight. Psalm 144 verse 15, Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. There's joy when we know that that God is the Lord and He is ours. That's not only important for us to remember 
in this season of the year, but this is important for us to remember always that our joy is found in knowing this God who is the Lord of our salvation. It's found in knowing him, knowing his love, knowing union with Jesus Christ. We understand that sometimes the holidays aren't always times to rejoice. Sometimes there's hard things that we face. Sometimes it's the reality that there's faction and division in families. For some of us, maybe we're feeling quite lonely. We see other people, and it seems like they have all kinds of things to do, and maybe we don't have much to do. Maybe it's a reminder of that. We're feeling lonely There's other hardship and difficulty in our lives. Maybe it's a loved one who's not here with us because they've been taken in death. Or maybe it's a loved one who's not there because they're walking in ways of sin. The holidays can be a time when we're reminded of those things. But more than that, in our lives, there's hardship and difficulty for us. And the question is, where do we find our joy? And we're reminded by this very song, we find our joy in the Lord. In our walk with him, our relationship that we have with him. When Mary magnifies the Lord, she confesses that her joy is found in the fact that God is her savior. So in seeing that joy is found in the Lord and in God, now we see more fully that it's in the fact that God is her Savior, and specifically, she finds her joy in this. It's in the mercy of God. This is our first point. Rejoicing in the Lord, and first of all, she rejoices in His mercy. That's what she praises God for here in this text. We see that in a couple of ways, this mercy of God that is woven through the words that she speaks. First of all, in verse 48, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. That word regarded means to look upon with pity to help. We understand that in the midst of this world, we can be looked upon in two very different ways. We can be looked upon with pity to help but we also can be looked upon with contempt and hatred and despising. I would dare say that we all know both of those things by experience. We know what it is to be hated and despised. And for someone to be filled with contempt toward us, we also know what it is to see mercy and love and favor. Here in verse 48... Mary is speaking of the mercy of the Lord that she sees and that she knows. And along with that, we read in verse 50, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. There she speaks again of the mercy of the Lord. This is her joy. What is this mercy? God's mercy is his undeserved pity and favor upon his people in their misery. This pity and compassion 
is not simply for people who go through hard things. But it's a pity and compassion for those who are sinners. It's a pity and compassion for those who willingly plunge themselves into sin. Who willingly rebel against God and deserve the wrath of God. But God has mercy for sinners. And in that mercy, his desire is to bless his people with the highest good. He gives his people what they don't deserve, but also he doesn't give to his people what they do deserve. One of the ways in which we see the the mercy of God manifest is especially in the forgiveness of sins. There's that connection made throughout Scripture, Psalm 103, Micah 7, and also in a a parable in Matthew 18. Remember the parable for a moment in Matthew 18. This is a parable in which there is a man who owes his master an amount that is so huge that it equals in our day millions of dollars. But this is the type of man who works for minimum wage. And so in this parable, he goes before the the master that he owes millions of dollars to and he says, have mercy upon me, give me some time and I'll pay back what I owe. The reality was his debt was so big, he could not live long enough, even through three lifetimes, to pay back that debt. And in that parable, the master forgives that servant the entirety of the debt. A picture of what God does in his mercy when he forgives our sins. We owe a debt And the debt is being under his wrath forever. And God says, you will not pay that debt. That debt is not owed by you because there is a substitute that I sent to pay that debt in your place. The word of God tells us that our God is a God who delights in mercy. That's Micah 7. He delights in mercy. He delights in showing mercy to his people when we know this mercy of God, how can our hearts not be filled with joy? That's what Mary is speaking of here. She knows this mercy and she praises God for this mercy. A couple of things then we learn about this mercy. First of all, this mercy is undeserved. When the text says that it's for those who fear him, it's not saying, well, those who are worshipers of God because they've done something, they change their hearts and minds, they then earn that mercy. No, this mercy is completely undeserved. It is for those who fear him, but not because they fear him, but this fear is worked in their heart. Secondly, notice that this mercy is generational. Mercy is shown by God in the line of generations, which we know from biblical history and we know for ourselves as well. But one other thing to notice about God's mercy. His mercy is not just an attitude. It's a power to save. Mary, here in the song, not only speaks of the mercy of God, but also God's power. She speaks of that as one who has firsthand experience of the power of God because of the wonder of God in her own womb. What we see and understand tonight is that God's mercy is a powerful mercy. It is powerful to save. 
That's how we often ought to see the work of God, the cross, the resurrection, his work within us, a powerful work of God. In the cross, there's power. For the Son of God in our flesh conquered sin and death when he hung there. There's power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ where he broke the power of death. And there's a power working in us by the Holy Spirit conquering sin and death in us and giving us newness of life. Our hearts of stone are changed to soft and fleshy hearts. The dead are made alive. There's power. And so Mary rejoices in this mercy that is powerful to save. And knowing that mercy, Mary magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God, her Savior. So Mary rejoices in that mercy. Secondly, notice as well then that Mary rejoices in that mercy because of what has been done in her womb. Mary speaks of the particular way that God's powerful mercy is shown. It's shown in her, in the Christ child that she would give birth to. Notice that in verses 48 and 49. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. Notice how personal it is. From henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. Mary there is speaking of the joy that she has in the wonder that was performed in her. And she knows that she's unworthy of that. She, she describes herself as a woman of low estate. She's a handmaiden. What she's saying is, I don't deserve this. I'm an ordinary peasant girl. And on top of that, she was very young, probably a teenager. This is not some young woman who is rich and famous at that time. So she's stating that she's unworthy of herself, of the privilege to carry and give birth to the Savior who is the Son of God, become flesh. But why does God do this? Well, God does this to magnify his mercy and his power. And so she speaks then of the great things that God has done. What are these great things? Well, the great thing is the incarnation. That takes us back to the announcement. Remember the news comes to her. Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. She's even told what to name him. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And, and he's going to rule forever. Remember a question. How shall this be seeing I know not a man? Then there's this amazing description by the angel in verse 35. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. An amazing thing was going to take place in her. Something indescribable. 
so amazing that I really dare not add to the words that are found here. The Holy Ghost would come upon her. The power of the highest would overshadow her so that the child that would be in her and the child she would give birth to and the child that she would raise in her home, that child is the son of the highest. He is the son of God and he is her savior. This is what we know as the incarnation. Maybe you kids have learned that term, incarnation. And it means son of God become flesh. Son of God coming down to this earth and becoming a man so that he is both God and he as a man. And this is not produced by any work of Mary. Mary's not praising herself for anything that she does. But this is all the work of God to magnify the mercy of the Lord. The rejoicing of Mary is focused on this, the Son. And then just to add to that, this is even more amazing when you consider the time in history when this announcement came and this birth took place as well. Remember the time before this. It was a dark period in Israel's history. Some 400 years since the last prophet had come giving ongoing revelation of God to his people. From then on, it was silent, it was quiet. It wasn't that there weren't men who brought the word of God, they did. But there was no new revelation about the coming Messiah. God was silent for that period. The last word of God came through Malachi, the prophet, who foretold of the coming of the Messiah and the forerunner of the Messiah as well. That takes us back even further. We're reminded of Israel's history, a history of idolatry, rebellion, complaining, and disobedience. I'm preaching in my own congregation through the book of Judges right now, and you know that cycle in the book of Judges. People of Israel were serving God, but then they didn't. They fell into idolatry. They walked in disobedience. They made friends with all the wicked nations around them. God chastened them by sending an enemy to control them for a period of time. Then they repented. Then God sent a judge to deliver them. They served the Lord for a generation. And the, the cycle repeated itself. That was Israel's history. But the Lord did not forget his promises. The Lord did not forsake his people. There were consequences for their sin. But now we see the dawn of the son of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. The savior who is promised by God to redeem his people and ransom them and free them from the bondage of sin. He is announced to Mary by the angel Gabriel and is now in her womb. And so Mary rejoices. This is why she rejoices. Now there's that revelation. God had been quiet. Now revelation of these things and the great wonder that God would perform. Mary rejoices in God, her Savior. Notice how personal that is in verse 47. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, 
my Savior. My Savior. There's nothing here of an immaculate conception. There's nothing here of a perfect Mary. No, Mary is a sinner who knows her need for the very son who is in her womb. Think of how overwhelming that must have been to think as a sinner. The son of God was in her and she was going to give birth to the Savior. And after nine months of pregnancy, she was going to hold not just a son, but her Savior in her arms. And she was going to look into his eyes. She was going to see his face. And she was going to teach him and instruct him. But that son would be her Savior. She was a woman who knew her sin and knew her need for that Savior. That's why she rejoices and rejoices and says, God, my Savior, her Savior was in her. She believes this with all of her heart. She embraces here what God is doing and believes this work of God for her salvation. And this delivers her from all her fears. All the anxiety that she might think about because of her reputation and what people would say, that all, that all faded into the background. It was her Savior. That's her joy. What about for us? Are we today rejoicing in God, our Savior? Do we see and know God that way, as God, our Savior? Sometimes I, I hear people saying that they, they see God as, as an angry God, and certainly God is a holy God, and He is a God who is angry with sin. But tonight, do we see Him as Savior? Merciful, compassionate toward us, his people. And do you find then, when you see him as merciful and the God who sent the Savior, do you find then your joy in him and what he has done? There are fears and sorrows that we might have right now, and those fears and sorrows are very real. Sometimes those fears and sorrows become front and center. Sometimes it feels like those fears and sorrows are all that we can see, and we need this very light of the gospel to shine through and show us the joy that there is in the Lord. Maybe you need to see that right now. Maybe there are sorrows. Maybe there are fears that you have. What is it that brings us joy in the midst of those things? It's this. God, my Savior, and what he has done in his Son, Jesus Christ, and what he has given to us. And when we know that, then, our entire life, our entire life is a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so that means, then, that our praise arises out of that. So, Mary, she saw God's mercy. She also is seeing his son, and we see that as well. Now let's look at her praise of this great, merciful God. Mary's joy overflows with praise to the God of her salvation. We go back to the beginning of the song. My soul doth magnify the Lord. She magnifies the Lord. 
What does that mean that she magnifies the Lord? We know that word magnify means to make something bigger. When you think of making something bigger tonight, don't think of microscope. Don't think of magnifying glass. Don't think of bifocals that we need to read small print so that it's bigger for us. But instead, think of telescope. And I say think of that because remember that God is not small so that we need him magnified before us from the perspective that he is small. No, he's big. And that's why telescope. What a telescope does is it makes something big that is small because it's so far away. It's so distant. You look at a planet. You look at a star. They're big. But they don't seem big to us because they're so far away. That can happen with God in our lives. It seems that he's not very big, not because he's not, but because he's far away, he's distant to us. Right now for Mary, God is not distant. He's big. And so she magnifies the Lord as she sees the bigness and the greatness of God. Her joy and her praise arises out of this. So also right now for us, as we remember the birth of our Savior, we should see his greatness. We should see his bigness. And we magnify him then. We praise him for his greatness. We praise him for his great glory. We praise him for who he is and what he has done. His mercy and in that mercy the gift of his son. As Mary magnifies the Lord here. There are three things that we learn about praising or magnifying the Lord from these words. Notice, first of all, that she praises God from the Scriptures. Her song is saturated with Scripture. These are biblical words that, she, that come out of her when she sings this song. She draws on many old, different Old Testament passages from books like Genesis and Deuteronomy and 1 Samuel and Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk and Malachi. And that tells us that Mary was a young woman who knew the scriptures. She went to worship God at the synagogue. She learned the word of God from her parents and thus, as she thinks on the word of God, she then sings that now in her praise and thanks to God. That's an important word for us. Do we know the scriptures? Do we know them well? So that when we praise God, the, the word of scripture comes to our minds. Children and young people, do you know the scriptures? When we have some free time and talked to some young adults lately who are telling me this too. They're frustrated by the fact that when they have some free time and they don't really know what else to do, what do they grab? Their phone. And then they can play some games. They can search some YouTube videos or they can go on social media. Before you know it, they've gone through how much time? Half hour, hour, more? It's not just for young people today. We all have got those phones. 
And how quickly don't we reach for them when we don't know what else to do? They can be tools for good. We don't have to all go and throw them in the lake. But we should remember that there are times when we need to reach for God's word and open up the scriptures and read and hear what God has to say to us. So as we're learning the scriptures, it's these very words that come to our minds and we praise and glorify God with the scriptures. Secondly, notice that she praises God from her soul. This is personal for Mary. Her her soul is not lukewarm. She's not doing what's simply expected of her. She's not here to simply please God with outward sacrifice, as we read about in the Old Testament. No, she's filled with great joy and gladness in her soul. And because this is in her soul, she praises God as she speaks these words. That's what joyful praising and magnifying of the Lord is. And the third thing we notice is that this is not a momentary thing for her, but it's continuous. You see, the very idea of the verbs here is that they're in the present, meaning it's not just in this moment, but it's ongoing. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and I continue to magnify the Lord as I live my life. She will keep on doing this. And so we learn also for us that our praise of God is not momentary. It's not just in a a moment of public worship. It's not just in a moment of family worship. But our praise is to be a life. A life of glorifying God for his mercy. A life of glorifying God for the great things he has done in his son. A life of praising God in the very way in which we live our lives in obedience to his word as Mary did. She was striving to obey God and do his will, even though it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, extremely difficult. But yet, she lives her life in this joy and praise. So may that be true of us. May these words be our own. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this word tonight. We're thankful for joy that is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that in our sorrows, in our pain and our suffering, that we'd still know this joy because thou art ever merciful and always kind And thou hast given thy son, and he gave his life. So, Father, fill us with this joy. May we gather for worship tomorrow morning in this joy and gladness as well. And may we go forward in our lives giving glory and praise to thee, the God of our salvation. Amen.